Park Hopping Podcast number 17. Another crappy podcast production. Hi there, this is Alan of DisneyFans.com, and this is the Park Hopping Podcast. The podcast that yada, 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 you know the rest. Happy New Year, everybody. Stay tuned after my babbling for some actual Disney theme park-related stuff. I know, it's hard to believe. It starts at 7 minutes and 50 seconds in case you want to fast-forward to it. Well, welcome to the first park hopping podcast of 2006. Well, technically it's the second one I uploaded, but this is the first one specifically about 2006 or 2005, something like that. Anyway, after listening to a dozen or two podcasts and their retro 2005 year-end review episodes, I figured I'd jump on the pod wagon and do one of my very own, or at least I'd do this. The year was 2005, and although I'd heard of podcasting, it really wasn't something I was interested in. Listening to radio on the internet was something that I did on rare occasions, like RenRadio.com over at Live 365. You know, they play Renaissance Festival music, including some songs by my group, The Pirate Comedy Show. But I digress. I guess I'm really just not into music much, other than a handful of Weird Al albums and some Disney theme park soundtracks. A lot of Disney theme park soundtracks. I don't really own any music. I don't own a home stereo system, and about the only time I ever listened to radio was driving to or from work each day. And when my car radio started dying, I didn't even get it replaced for several years. Well, things changed for me in June of 2005 when Apple upgraded its iTunes music software to support podcasting. After watching a video from the Macworld keynote presentation where the Apple CEO Steve Jobs demonstrated podcast, I decided to check them out. I listened to some of the ones that were featured and I, you know, tried to search. I said, you know, I wonder if there's anything there from Disney. And sure enough, I found Behind the Gears, an official Disney podcast, which is really kind of neat to listen to if you don't subscribe. A lot of stuff from Marty Sklar, you know, and Disney Imagineers and Dave Smith and things like that. Anyway, it was neat and it was very well produced, and I remember listening to it a few times, but that was about it. It wasn't until a month or so later when I stumbled onto some of the Disney fan podcasts, and I think I think the first one I found was the Magical Theme Park Podcast or something like that. But soon I was subscribed to several of them, and each one seemed to have a slightly different approach to babbling about Disney theme parks, and, and that was pretty cool. Now, I got pretty hooked finding more and more topics that interested you know, interested me, you know, Doctor Who and, you know, science and geek news, stuff like that. And the next thing I knew, I'd bought an iPod and I was listening to podcasts every day while I worked. And it was pretty neat realizing that I had so many things to choose from, even if most of them were pretty crappy. And that's what inspired me to register anothercrappypodcast.com and begin podcasting myself, except for those of you that know it started as a joke. Now, the rest, as they say, is uninteresting. So here it is, it's 2006, and I realize I've somehow managed to average an episode per week so far for this podcast. Not on a schedule, of course, since there would be many weeks at a time when I didn't do a show, but overall it averages out thanks to me posting a bunch of shows back-to-back after our Christmas Disneyland trip. So I'd like to say that one of my New Year's resolutions is going to be to put the show on some kind of schedule. I'd like to say that, but I'm not. It's just not going to happen. I do this for fun when I have time, and as 2006 gets going, I'm probably going to have less and less time as some big Renaissance Festival-related projects I'm involved in get going. So instead of telling you what I'm going to do in 2006, I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to do, at least until I change my mind and do it. 
For 2006, I am not going to take the Park Hopping Podcast and rename the audio feed to a Park Hopping Podcast just so it sorts higher in everyone's playlist. I've had several podcasts rename their shows like that, which initially made me think they'd stop broadcasting when no new episodes started appearing alphabetically in my list. Of course, I can always change the name of my show. For 2006, I'm not going to constantly mention record-breaking numbers to my website. After all, I had six listeners last week, and I have ten this week, and that breaks the record. You know, it doesn't mean anything without facts and figures to back it up, so it's just self-ego boosting. Of course, podcasting is very much about ego, which is one of the things that makes it very similar to broadcast radio, now that I think about it. Uh, for 2006, I am not going to tell you to go to Podcast Alley and vote for this show every single episode. There's one daily podcast I listen to, and it mentions Podcast Alley every single day. Okay, we get it. You're on Podcast Alley, and you want us to go vote for you. Got it. Again, it's all about ego. Uh, of course, if anyone wants to start awarding cash prizes for the winner of those polls, then you're welcome to go vote for me. But even then, I'm not going to ask you to go give me a five-star rating. Telling you how to vote just doesn't seem very cool. For 2006, I'm not going to play production library music without first checking the licensing agreement for podcasters. That cost me 25 bucks for 15 seconds of audio last year. <sighs> of course, I probably will end up making some original music from my uh, home studio and using royalty-free music loops from the Apple GarageBand software. For 2006, I am not going to play any random Podsafe song that has absolutely nothing to do with the subject of this podcast right in the middle of it or at the end of it or anything like that. Of course, we'll be right back after this. This is the turkey leg song. This is the turkey leg song. I want a turkey leg before they're all gone. Oh, this is the turkey leg song. Okay, let's do the second verse. Same as the first. This is the turkey leg song. This is the turkey leg song. On a turkey leg before they're all gone out. Oh, this is the turkey leg song. You know, it also works at state fairs and carnivals. Hmm. This is the corn dog song. This is the corn dog song. I want a corn dog before they're all gone out. Oh, this is the corn dog song. Okay, big turkey leg finish. This is the turkey leg song. This is the turkey leg song. I want a turkey leg before they're all gone out. Oh, this is the turkey leg song. I want a turkey leg before they're all gone out. Oh, <laughs> that was a turkey leg song from the pirate comedy show off their pirate comedy show album which is available now from the itunes music store or online at best buy tower records and cdbaby.com see i told you podcasting was all about egos now there's sort of a point cd baby is a service that provide uh, well, it's a service that proves anyone can have their songs sold on iTunes and several other music stores nobody's ever heard of. Um, anyway, seeing someone on iTunes next to established artists like Madonna or whoever really seems to make them seem more real. Now, podcasting, on the other hand, seems to have the opposite effect. Since there are well over 10,000 podcasts, and since most of them are just guys or gals sitting around in their computer room with a microphone, it's suddenly hard to tell if Coaster Boy, Coaster Radio is actually produced by a real organization like Coaster Boy Magazine or something, or if it's just some guys who have a lot of free time on their hands. Well, rest assured, while I don't have a lot of free time on my hands, I most certainly am just some guy sitting around with a microphone. I'm on the couch right now, right now recording this into an Apple laptop using a cheap USB microphone. But in previous years, I worked at a few radio stations as an on-air personality, that, that's modern talk for DJ, as well as did productions for radio commercials and stuff like that. But I digress. 
I guess my point is, I really like this whole podcasting thing. You should try it. Everybody else is. Well, here we go. One of the things that happened in 2005 was the opening of the new Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters attraction at Disneyland. Now, this new, new Tomorrowland ride took over the building, which was the original Circa-Rama movie, which later was updated to be Circle Vision 360. When Tomorrowland was being redone, uh, Circle Vision brought back the original 1960s version, I think from 1967, of the America the Beautiful film for one final time. And this was a unique film because Walt Disney was actually seen in it in many places. Um, I think the film was done earlier than it was edited somewhat, but you could actually spot Walt in a bunch of various scenes because it had, you know, the camera angles surrounding the vehicle. Well, the building after this was uh, turned into the queue area for the short-lived Rocket Rods attraction, which only ran for about three or four years. Now, they did make use of the projection room from Circle Vision by having transportation-related clips and animations as well as some footage of Walt Disney playing while you stood in an incredibly slow-moving line. I was there for the official 1998 reopening of the New Tomorrowland, and I stood in that line four hours. Not for hours, but for four hours. One, two, three, four. Four hours. We're talking Indiana Jones-sized lines here. And I actually rode the ride a few times that trip with similar weights, you know, three hours and stuff. It's, it's kind of hard to believe looking back. But back to Buzz Lightyear. After Rocket Rods closed near the end of 2000, the building stood dormant for a couple of years until work began on the new Buzz Lightyear ride. Buzz Lightyear at Disneyland was actually built from the ground up, just using an existing building, but it was based on a ride conversion that had been done in 1998 at Walt Disney World. Now, the Disney World version opened in the former location of the legendary If You Had Wings attraction. If You Had Wings itself went through several changes, including minor renaming, such as If You Could Fly, and then it was later redone as Delta Dream Flight when it was sponsored by um, Delta Airlines. And then lastly, it was uh, just called Take Flight after losing the uh, Delta sponsorship. Anyway, the original ride there used an Omnimover-type system similar to what the Haunted Mansion uses, but it had a completely different types of cars, um, and uh, the Buzz update was simply going to change the scenes out and retrofit those cars. Now, when the Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger, Space Ranger Spin update was done, they modified the cars by adding a little dashboard console, and they allowed them to rotate 360 degrees under the rider's control with a little joystick, and uh, there was also two laser tag type guns mounted on the console that could be turned left and right and tilted up and down just a little bit. All of the show scenes were updated, and um, let's see, they, well, actually, that's, they were updated, but they did keep the former speed tunnels, similar to the speed tunnel that Disneyland's People Mover used to go through. It was a, a big projection room, and you'd go through it, and fans would blow on you, and it would feel like you were driving really fast because of the movie they'd project. Well, they kept that. This time it was... Um, Project, uh, projections of a battle between uh, Buzz Lightyear and Zerg. So that was kind of one of the things that they, they actually kept in. They made use of it. So it was really just changing the ride vehicle and the scenes on the same existing ride. Well, in case you've never been on either Buzz Lightyear ride, um, it's basically a dark ride with an electronic shooting gallery mixed in, little targets. You ride through and zap targets and get points, which show up on an LED display in front of you. 
You think I think of it like a ride-through laser tag center, or maybe the world's largest video game. And for those who aren't into games, it's just a sci-fi dark ride where you can rotate your vehicle and look at anything you want, kind of like Roger Rabbit at Disneyland, but without all those uh, physical maneuvers required to actually turn the car. And, of course, without the uh, motion sickness for people like me who can't do spinny rides anymore. Anyway, Disneyland got a version of Buzz that was very similar but substantially upgraded to the Florida original. At Disneyland, the laser guns could be removed so you could easily point them wherever you want, including behind you. In Florida, you kind of point in front of the car so both riders pretty much have to agree that they're going to be going after the same section. Um, At Disneyland, the targets were also improved. They light up when you hit them and give some feedback. Uh, The guns vibrate, things like that, so you know you're doing something. And the scoring system is also more advanced, with some of the targets tied to an online Buzz Lightyear game on the Internet that people will be playing at home. Things they do in the game cause special targets um, in the game to light up, and then they're worth more points to the people riding the ride. At least that's what Disney tells us. There are a lot of changes... um, Other changes made as far as the show scenes and the order. Um, The Florida queue featured an animatronic Buzz Lightyear and a giant Viewmaster, and it kind of clicked through images as Buzz talked about the mission. Um, And on the wall was a prop Magna Doodle sketching toy with a with a kind of a drawing of what the ride cars look like, explaining the controls. But in California, you know, we got the Buzz, but we lost the Viewmaster and gained a large working Etch-a-Sketch that actually sketched out what Buzz was talking about, just like the Toy Story movie. It was very, very cool. Um, scoring has expanded in California since at the end of the ride, you go to a computer screen, little touch screens on the wall, and you find a photo that was taking of you near the end of the ride. You actually get your photo taken, and then you can email this photo for free, something free at Disney again, and it shows uh, what your full score was. Although both the Florida and California versions have a six-digit score display on the cars, the actual score in California keeps counting. It goes beyond that. My personal best was like 1.7 million, thanks to the ride going into creep mode, um, where they slow it down to load people in and out of uh, wheelchairs or vehicles, and I must have been really close to one of the high-point targets or something. Now, I don't remember much about the scoring system in Florida, but I know when it was new, they basically said some targets were worth more and you just had to figure it out. In California, the shapes of the targets, from triangle to diamond to square to circle, determine their value, and if you want a high score... Um, You go for as many triangles as possible and then just skip shooting the circle targets unless you have nothing else to shoot. Anyway, I thought it might be fun to listen to the audio from the original Buzz Lightyear in Florida, which was just over five minutes long, and then the California counterpart, which is about five and a half minutes long. These times are from stepping into the vehicle to stepping out at the end. So here we go with the original Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger spin in Florida, Um, as it appeared to me in November 1999.
All right, and now let's take a ride through Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters in California.
A little bit different there, you know, a lot of the little audio and you can tell that some of the uh, the scenes they put in were different. Anyway, the Buzz Lightyear ride has also been put into the other Disneyland parks as well. Tokyo Disneyland got a version in 2004, and Hong Kong Disneyland had Buzz Lightyear when it opened in October 2005. Disneyland Paris is supposed to have their own opening later this year in April or May, something like that. And like Disneyland in California, the Paris version will replace their Circle Vision movie attraction. Now, it's interesting to note that while Hong Kong's goes by the Astro Blaster's name that Disneyland in California uses, the Paris version will use a third name for this attraction, Buzz Lightyear Laser Blast. And although this is an original Disney attraction, the modern Disney outsources a lot. Now, I'm not sure about the Florida version, but the Tokyo version contains figures and props that were built by the Garner Holt Productions Company in California. I think it was Tokyo. It, it might have been Hong Kong. Were they? What was done? Anyway, um, I, I do know that Garner Holt also did the figures used in Disneyland's Haunted Mansion Holiday, and quite possibly for the Tokyo version, but I don't know that. Um, they had not actually gotten to see all their work they did on the Mansion Holiday overlay, and they got a copy of some of my home video of the ride, Haunted Mansion Holiday, from the first year for their collection. And then later, um, they got a copy, I, I sent them a copy of my home video of the Florida Buzz Lightyear, and if I remember correctly, they were going to use it for reference, since they were going to be doing the work for a new version somewhere else, which was probably probably Tokyo. So anyway, if anybody knows more about who built the original Florida version or has any corrections to this, uh, just drop me a note. But it's, it's really interesting. You can go out and visit GarnerHolt.com and several other websites, and you can see Disney pop up as, as customers. Uh, there's even a company here in Des Moines, Iowa, that did some of the lighting and audio control systems used in Fantasmic at Disneyland, and a company that I work for that makes... Um, an industrial operating system um, a guy that I worked with said that a lot of the boxes and stuff were used out at Florida at like the, um, at, uh, what do you call it, the Hall of the Presidents. And uh, they also have devices that run some of our operating system playing the announcements for parades and stuff out at Epcot. Just, you know, little things like that. Not that that has anything to do with anyone, but of course, I digress. Well... On that note, I think that's going to do it for me. So the next time you're at the park, be sure to take an extra picture, shoot some extra video, because you never know when something you love, like, or hate is going to disappear and be gone forever or be converted into a Buzz Lightyear ride. I think that'll do it for me this time, so be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can browse over 25,000 digital pictures I've taken at Disneyland, Disney World, and other theme parks across the country, and dozens and dozens of downloadable audio and video files from the Disney parks here. And if you want to drop me a note, my email address is Alan, that's A-L-L-E-N, at DisneyFans.com, and you can visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and some of the other shows, as well as to follow a link so you can put your pen on the Frapper map. Everybody's doing a Frapper map. If you're like me, you're on like 15 of them now because everybody asks you to do that. Well, that wasn't a New Year's resolution. I didn't say I wouldn't do that. So go stick a pen on my Frapper map. You'll find a link at the top of anothercrappypodcast.com so we can see where everybody is. Um... 
I guess that's it. This has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 17, Buzz Lightyear. Thanks for listening. Another Crappy Podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting <sighs> podcasts. Mm.